Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are in 2 Kings, the 17th chapter. Now when we left off uh, last time, we had just finished verse uh, 23 of uh, 2 Kings, 17th chapter. And this is where it talks about that God had finally had enough with Israel and he exiled them. And uh, they're basically, from this point on, really cease to exist as the kingdom of Israel. They get sent off into captivity and uh, it was all because of their sin. In that whole chapter 17, the Bible's explaining why God was so upset with them and, and why the judgment came. You know, one of the major uh, uh, arguments in Christianity, probably for the last thousand years, maybe uh, more intensely than even before that, but is, is this, and, and 500 years even, is, is this idea of, you know, is there a point at which you can lose out with God? You know, uh, in other words, um, you know, is there some point where no longer that you would uh, walk in the grace of God? Uh, and you pretty much have two extreme camps. You've got the one pe- group who says, and by the way, we have some of these even in our church. It's fine. We allow for all kinds of things. We don't all have to think exactly the same. We have our core principles that we uh, are reflected uh, when we say the Apostles' Creed. But there's lots of other doctrines, you know, about speaking in tongues and this, that, and the other. And, and this is one of those areas where we just got people of different opinions. I'm just trying to let you know what, where I come from on it. You've got the one extreme group that says, uh, once you're saved, you are saved. There is nothing you can, you can be an axe murderer, man. You can run downtown buck naked with a shotgun and kill people left and right, and you're still going to go to heaven. Um, I don't believe that. I think it's very extreme. Of course, a lot of them would counter that if you were really saved, you wouldn't do such a thing, but it all becomes a lot of semantics. But basically, there's nothing you can do. Once you're saved, you're saved, and there's absolutely nothing that can happen. Then you've got the other, and that's known as kind of the, the Calvinistic thinking. Then you have what's known as the Armenian teaching thinking, which basically is, you know, you're saved, but if you so much as think a dirty thought, boom, you're going to go to hell. And, you know, if you, uh, you know, kick your neighbor's dog in anger and the rapture comes, you're not going to go in heaven because you kicked the dog. And, and, and that's the other extreme, that just every little thing God kicks you out of the club. And I think that both of those, I think, and from my viewpoint, I'm just trying to tell you where I'm coming from, I think those are just extreme teachings. Um, I think what we see is, is something more like what we're seeing as God dealt with the children of Israel is I do think there is a point. Why anybody would want to push God to this point is beyond me. I don't know why any person who claims to be a believer in Christ would want to go there. But I think, yeah, I think there is a point where you can, in fact, lose out with God. I don't care where you're at. Of course, there's an argument then, were you ever really saved? But, you know, for, for all practical purposes, your professing salvation and whatever, I think, I think there is a point. You can uh, wind up in a very bad place and uh, lose out with God. What, what I don't believe is that it's such an easy place to get to. The good news is God is so incredibly patient. As you read God's dealing, dealings with these people, his patience, goodness, I'd have killed a whole lot of them <laughs> way back, you know, in the, in the wilderness when they were wandering around. Uh, but uh, God was patient and tolerated this for hundreds of years, and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed. But finally, after warning after warning and the discipline of God, boom, the hammer came down and judgment came. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, I'm somewhere, I suppose it's kind of a wussy answer, but it's really what I think. I, I think you got to be careful. You can't just assume that no matter what you do, you're going to go, I, I, I pray and ask Jesus in my heart, and I can just 
be a complete slob and a pig and do whatever I want to do. I, I don't think you can. I just don't. Uh, again, you can argue semantics that if you were really saved, you wouldn't want to do that, but whatever the case. I, I think you need, just need to be careful. But uh, the good news, I think God really, 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 really loves you. Of course, people say, well, I'm convinced, where Paul said, I'm convinced that neither depth nor height nor angels nor principalities, nothing can separate me from the love of God. This is true. We're not talking about other things separating you from God. We're talking about you separating yourself from God as they were doing in rebelling against God and sinning and stuff. So again, if you have a different view on these things, it's fine. You can hold the view. We don't have a big cow about it around here. We don't throw it down anybody's uh, throat. Again, I'm just telling you where, the way that I view this thing. There's plenty of room for whatever. I, I think the smart thing is just live as intelligently, smartly, conservatively as, as you can with the things of God. Why, why push it? It just makes no sense to me. But uh, whether or not that affects your salvation or not, one thing's for sure, it certainly affected the way God dealt with these guys. And they came to a point where no mas, I'm not going to take it anymore. And he brings big judgment on them and they go out uh, and Israel is basically exiled and wiped out. Now we pick it up at verse 24. So uh, these guys come in and um, Israel is exiled. And then it says that the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and all over the different places. And they brought them into the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. So they got the Israelites out. And then this guy basically brings all these other people to take over uh, Samaria. And, uh, and they lived, they, they took over Samaria and lived in its town. Actually, this problem of, of so many different countries and stuff like that, being in Samaria, even though some were still Jews and stuff later, it, uh, the Jews in Jesus' day, if you read the New Testament, you'll see they didn't like the Samaritans. You'll hear that over and over again. They didn't like the Samaritans because they were kind of like half-breeds to them. You know, even though they're, some of them claimed Jewish roots, but they maybe had relatives from some other countries and stuff. They, they weren't considered pure Jews. Uh, and that's why you see that uh, in the New Testament, this kind of disdain for, for Samaritans. You remember when Jesus uh, saw the woman at the well and, uh, and, and brought the good news there. She was a Samaritan woman. She was, uh, the woman said, why are you talking to me? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Why didn't they? Because of this. I mean, this, this basically created uh, just a mess in terms of culture and everything else like that. And the hardcore Jews kind of never looked well on them uh, after that. So anyway, this, this is how and why that all happened. Uh, so anyway, it says when they first lived there, these people that the Assyrian king brought in, to replace the Jews who he'd taken out as prisoners. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So he, referring to the Lord, sent lions among them and they killed some of the people. Uh, it was reported to the king of Assyria, hey, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them which are killing them off because the people don't know what he requires. Then the king of Israel gave this order. Well, listen, we need to have some of these Jewish priests come back. Bring one of the priests you took captive from Samaria to go back and live there and teach the people what the God of that land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Now, um, try and follow me on this. I don't want to get in trouble with anybody, you know, when I, when I make this statement. But one of the things in the Old Testament is... Uh, when you're, there's, there's some very bizarre things that happen in the Old Testament that they tend to attribute to the Lord. And you kind of 
go, really? God would have them do that? I mean, it's a very bizarre thing, like the guy who sacrificed his daughter, you know, whether or not he really sacrificed. I mean, there's all kinds of very bizarre things. You just got to keep in mind, in the Old Testament, this is Eastern thinking, Middle Eastern thinking, and it, this is before Jesus and the revelation of what God's really like and the truth of God. They were, they were very much, they're very quick to attribute anything that happened to the Lord. If something good happened, the Lord did it. If something bad happened, the Lord did it. It's, it's kind of like Muslims today, you know, uh, the will of God, whatever Allah wills. So the thinking is, and there's some Christians actually who think a little weird like this. They'll be driving along and they're not paying attention and they're eating cheeseburgers and texting and tuning in a different radio station, driving 20 miles over the speed limit, all at the same time around a corner that says 20. And of course they crash and they kill themselves and they say, well, it must've been God's will. I don't think so. I don't think it was God's will. Then why did it happen? Because you're an idiot. You're eating cheeseburgers, you're texting and trying to listen to the radio all at the same time, going too fast around a corner. Hardly you can blame God for that. There's people who think just everything that happens, it was God. It was God's will. And that's not really uh, our understanding of God as we understand it in the New Testament, a clear understanding of God. So I'm not saying that God did not send lions in to kill these people, uh, it just doesn't sound like God to me. I mean, I don't know. You know, they were pagans anyway. And as you see, they kind of served God and didn't serve God. We're going to get into that in a minute. Um, I kind of always try to look for a prophet or something where God verbalizes and said, I'm doing this. God's going to do this. This happened because of such and such. Very, very clearly uh, stated out. Uh, and then you really know, okay, God was really behind this. I'm just saying... This will help you in the Old Testament when you read some things that seem kind of really strange and weird and why would God do that? You'll often read like this. There's no, there's no indication that a prophet or anyone actually said in God's voice that this is what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. They just had the tendency when things would happen, uh, good or bad, they just assumed God was behind it. You know, so if you understand the Old Testament in that sense, they had kind of a more limited view of God. That's why when Jesus came around, started teaching about what God was really like, everybody was, wow, we've never heard anything like this. Why? Because they just had an Old Testament view of God. You know, God just, whatever happens, it's all God's will and, and, and whatever. So I'm not saying God didn't do this. I just go, it just seems a little odd to me. There's no place where it says a prophet said this was what was happening or anything. It's just that these people moved in and then a bunch of people got killed by lions and they assumed, oh no, this is happening because the God of this area, uh, has lions and they'll eat you if you don't worship the God of this area. Well, God isn't like this. He's not just a God of the area. He's a God of the universe, okay? So, uh, so they sent a priest back to show them how to worship the Lord and hopefully this will keep the lions away and whatever. So it's, it's just all a little strange to me. Just kind of keep that in mind when you see strange things happen and it doesn't really show God in a real strong way showing up. They just assumed that it was God. So could have been, could have not. I don't know. Don't, you know, sue me. I don't care, you know. So, all right. So anyway, these guys come back and they start to teach them about God. Not out of pure worship to God. It was basically a, ver a version of paganism. They basically worshiped the Lord in the area because that keeps lions away. It's not true worship. See, that's why, again, I'm, I'm skeptical of that God really had anything to do with this. Uh, but that's what they were doing. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've, you know, you don't, you don't see very many uh, Hindus and stuff like that uh, in, in this area, certainly. 
uh, in Wisconsin or, or wherever you're at. Uh, but when you go to, I've had friends who've gone to India and preached and taught and said, you need to accept Jesus. He's, 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 he's God. And tens of thousands of hands will go up in a big, big auditorium and also, they all want to accept Jesus. And it's great and it's fabulous. Everybody's excited. Except that when you understand Hindus, they've got like 10,000 gods, okay? And you come along and say, you need Jesus as a God. Sure, I mean, they're just adding him. <laughs> now we got 10,001. If you've got thousands, I don't know exactly how many, but there's thousands, literally thousands of gods that they worship, deities and stuff. So someone comes along and says, Jesus is God and you need to serve God. They quickly would, you know, respond to that. Say, yeah, no problem, why not? You know, you got so many gods already. Um, that's why when they preach the gospel there, they need to be very clear to state there is no other God. There is only one true God and, uh, and explain the gospel according uh, to Jesus and, 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 the, and the whole thing. Now that's a different ballgame. Now they, they've got to really think that through because you're asking them to turn away from all their other gods. So uh, these people were basically worshiping the Lord but kind of just adding him to whatever part of their lives that they normally had. Uh, it wasn't because they really loved God or wanted to connect with God. They just <laughs> they didn't want to, you know, it was like a good luck omen, you know. Worship the Lord so the lions don't get you. All right? So there you have it. Now, verse 29. Despite the fact that they were now learning about worshiping the Lord, because this one priest came back and tried to explain to them some of the things about worshiping God. It says, nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made in the, at the high places. The men from Babylon made Succoth Banan. The men from Kutha made Nurga. They're talking about all these different gods and stuff that they worship. Verse 32, uh, they worship the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places, which you weren't supposed to do. There were only special people that could act as priests before the Lord. But again, they're just doing it because of the lion problem. And they just assume the lion problem was God. It was the God of the area. It must have been the God of the Jews is you've got to worship this God of this Jews or the, he's going to send lions to eat you up. Highly superstitious people. So they basically start creating their own form of worship. Again, something that, that, that carried for a very long time, even to the time of Jesus in Samaria. You remember, if you don't, you know what? Do we, do we dare go out? You know, I, I'll just assume that, that everybody knows the story of, of the woman at the well. Where she comes and Jesus starts talking to him, to her about God and stuff. And she says, well, your fathers say you should worship here. Our fathers say we should worship there. You know, it wasn't the pure worship of Judaism that they had because it had been so polluted because of this period of time that carried on for a very, very, very long time. Even until the time of Jesus' days. Again, why they didn't like the Samaritans. Okay, so they brought in their own priests and did kind of made up their own version of Judaism is really what it was. Verse 33, the next verse. They worship the Lord, whoever he is, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. And even at the time of the writing of the, the recording of this, they said to this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and the commands uh, the Lord gave to the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. 
when the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. So he's, they're pointing out, the guy's saying, listen, it's, it's not really true what they were doing because they weren't really following the true version of the scriptures. Verse 36, but the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you, must, you shall bow down and offer to him sacrifices. Uh, you must always be careful to keep the decrees and ordinances, the laws and the commandments that he wrote for you. Uh, do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I made with you. Do not worship other gods. Rather worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices, which is why the judgment of God came on them and pulled them all out of there. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. Again, to this day, whenever this was actually uh, written, uh, you know, compiled all the history of this period of time. And even when they were compiling this, when they say to this day, we're not talking about this day, but, uh, and again, problems with the Samaritans even until the day of Jesus. So, but now listen, interesting to see, but as I was reading this, I thought, you know, we, we, we really have the same problem today in Christianity. Uh, even, verse 41, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. And we have that problem today. We have people who come into the kingdom of God, who come to the message of Christianity, who are drawn to the powerful message of Christianity and the power of forgiveness and grace and redemption. Who doesn't like this? This is cool. We all love redemption. That's why, you know, uh, you know, one of the most popular movies of women, even Christian women, is, you know, the, uh, the Pretty Women movie, you know, or... Julia, whatever his name is, is, you know, a prostitute and a hooker. And, and she finally gets redeemed by this man who loves her in spite of her being a hooker. And there's, you know, and I think women love this movie. They're crazy about this movie. I'm looking at a lady who's a hooker. But what they love about it is the redemption story, that it pulls her out. And then I get, okay, I, I guess how they can see no matter what your past is, there was redemption. They love that. Hence, people, tons of people, love the message of Christianity because of the promise of redemption. And we all love redemption. We love the opportunity to be redeemed. That's, that's one of the powerful things about the Christian message. But they come to Christianity and they kind of pick and choose. They, they pick the parts of Christianity that they like and reject the parts that they don't like. They want to live. They live in ways at times that are absolutely the opposite of biblical teaching. But they don't care. To them... Well, I, do you love Jesus? Yes. Am I a Christian? Yes. Well, do you live like hell? Well, yes, but it's okay. It's the same thinking that they struggled with back then. I'm telling you, we still have today. We're people. I don't doubt some people listen to me right now. You come and you listen and you sing songs and you praise God and you love it all, but you still are doing things that are blatantly opposite to the kingdom of God. And the two biggest ones really have to do with the two big things that people struggle with the most always have, and certainly in this country today, and that is sex and money. And I argue, well, you show me someone who's really surrendered sex and money to God, I'll show you a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But those are the two biggies. You know, because, they're, you know, money is just money, money, money. We're consumed by it, and sex is such just a, just, a, uh, just a perversion of just doing whatever you want. It's very narcissistic, very short-sighted, immediate. 
and you talk to me, and the Bible's very clear about how you should honor God with your money and how you should honor God with your body and be, whatever it is, people can come and they'll be part of Christianity and never give a dime to the kingdom of God or just bits and pieces, you know. They, they'll, they'll pull out, you know, a, a $10 bill, you know, and it's like, now at a grocery store, $10 is nothing. But at church, it's like, oh, yeah, it's really warm in here. I think I'll wave myself down with a 10. I got a 10. Yes, it's a 10. Yes, 10. 10. I'm putting the 10 in the offering. Like, you know, they think that they're really giving, you know, on occasion giving a whole $10 or something like in terms of really making any kind of real financial commitment. And, and a lot of people don't even do the 10. I mean, they just, and, but they think they're fine. It doesn't matter. I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know, it's great. I sing the songs, but I'm not going to give it any money. Really? Really, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's just about, it's not just about money, but it's one of the signs. The same thing with the sexual thing. Man, I get so many emails from people, you know, single people, who are dating someone, and they make this statement to me all the time. Uh, you know, we're Christians, we're having sex, but we're both Christians. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute! Excuse me! I mean, change one of the other commandments, and you can see how absurd it is. I, I pointed this out before. Instead of, you know, take, instead of sex, take killing you know it's like saying we're both christians uh, but we kill people uh we don't kill everybody we just kill people who take our parking spaces you know like that kind of you know people people don't like yeah but we do you know we bury their bodies nicely or or we're christians and we steal yeah we come into people's homes when they're not there and we steal but we only try and steal from people that have good insurance and it covers it so it's no big deal i mean you take any other commandment it's absurd but when you bring it to the sex Ah, it's a big blur. Do you know why? Because our culture still disapproves of killing and stealing. But our culture thinks sex in any context is perfectly fine. As long as you're not hurting anybody. So people come in. They bring their gods, their thinking, their pagan ways into the church. And they continue to live like pagans. But they add a Christian mantle on top of it. And uh, seriously, people. I mean, this, this is very dangerous thinking. We need to uphold and we need to teach all the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of righteousness, the teachings of holiness, not in an attempt to be better than anybody, not to condemn anybody. Man, I don't hate or condemn anybody. What ticks me off is, you know, it's one thing if someone says, you know, I'm really struggling and I fell and I shouldn't, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry and I want to grow. Man, I can handle that all day long. What fries me is people who, blatantly live in ways and disobey God's word and anything of any substantive sense. And again, the two biggies are always there. And they discount them. And they say, it doesn't really matter. I'm a Christian, but I still live in sin. I still screw anybody I feel like because we're friends, you know, or what. I mean, seriously, it's like, are you kidding me? And I'm not talking teenagers. I'm talking people in their 40s and 50s doing this behavior. Some of them in our church. And, you know, what are you going to do? You preach the gospel. And they don't, they don't, it's not like we can arrest people for not doing what we tell them to do. You know, when you preach the gospel, you're going to have people who take this seriously. You get all kinds of people who come along and don't take it all that seriously. Hopefully, at some point, they start taking it seriously. But the reality is we can't just hide the truth of the scriptures. There is this problem today, as much as it was back in that day, when people love worshiping the Lord, but they basically hang on to their sin hang on to their idolatry, uh, and love of money is idolatry, uh, or hang on to the way they want to do things. And, and, and you see it blatantly because you can come to them and say, you know, the Bible says this is wrong. And they'll look at it and say, but, but I think it's okay. Hello? 
who cares what you think? But they, this is the way, because of this tendency, the very thing these people did. We have problems with people to this day. And uh, seriously, I mean, all you can do, you got to love people, but we're not going to compromise. We're going to tell you the truth. In love, we don't hate you. I'm not going to get up here and tell you you're okay when you're not okay. I'm not going to tell you it's okay. That, you know, uh, praise God. We're glad you add, added Jesus to one of your other idols. No, when you come to Jesus, if you're really going to do this, Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you totally identify with me, you can't possibly experience salvation. And we're going to teach that. And, you know, at the end of the day, God has to make this revelation to people. You know, I'd, you know and this isn't really, I'm pretty much preaching to the choir here. People who come on to the Wednesday night Bible studies are much more committed than the Sunday morning people. But I can assure you there are people who come to our church at various campuses who live like hell. And they tell you freely. freely. They don't think anything of it. And, but they think they're okay because they come to church and they worship Jesus. And again, we try and love them. We try and teach them. We try to disciple them. We try to instruct them. But at the end of the day, you're always, we'll always struggle with this. Now what you can do is become so legalistic and so hammer people and get in the face really harsh about it and condemn them to where you just have a small group of people who don't do that. But, but now you've got a group that's not winning anybody to Jesus. So, you know, Jesus talked about this problem when he said, the kingdom of God is like a field and there you're going to have wheat and you're going to have weeds. They're going to grow together. And you can't just go through and start killing all the weeds because you might hurt some of the wheat. Jesus said they will grow together. And, and any large church like our church, and it'll continue to be the bigger we get, uh, we will continue amongst the wheat, have weeds who just don't get it. God bless them. We love them. We're trying to teach them as best we can. But they have this problem. They simply add Jesus to their existing life. They fornicate, they commit adultery, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they act no different than any other pagan anywhere in the city. But now they come and they worship Jesus. Uh, and I, look, I'm glad they come. I'm glad they hear the word. We don't want to push them in a situation where they don't feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, we've got to help them by the grace of God, praying for them, instructing, pray the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of their understanding so they get this. But this problem of merely adding the Lord to everything else you're already doing, make no mistake, this was not something that just happened back then. It still happens, even to this very day. Again, the answer isn't to beat the snot out of them and kill them and stuff. And like I said, the people who really struggle with this, by and large, are not listening to me right now. I'm stronger with you guys because you're the core and you're more serious about this stuff. But make no mistake, we'll have it all around us as we continue to invite people in. And we do. We want to have open doors, invite them in, and hopefully love and, and help grow. That, that's one of the reasons it's so important uh, for those of you who are strong and really committed to this church to make friends with new people that come into the church because you have the opportunity now to disciple them. I can't really disciple them from the pulpit. I can teach, and my brother can teach, and we can do things to encourage and share the word of God with people and show them the truth of God's word. But the real work of the trenches has to be done by you guys as you reach out to these new people and you'll see it, you'll recognize it. It'll seem very discombobulated dis, uh, in their brains. 
they live almost no differently than they lived before, but they've added Jesus to their repertoire, okay? Thinking they're okay. I don't think they're okay, but I think what we got to do is teach them, show them, love them, disciple them, show them. Because when they're living like this, God's not going to bless them. They're not going to get the prayers. They won't understand. They'll say the things to you like, well, you talk about God answering prayers. How come God isn't answering my prayers? You know, well, Bob, Susie, whatever your name is, the reason is, I mean, look what you're doing here. You're still not, you haven't really surrendered to Jesus. And at some point, hopefully that clicks in and we can disciple them and keep growing that way. But any successfully growing church will have people who really get it, surrounded by lots of people who really don't get it. And our challenge as believers and as key members of this congregation or any thriving church is to keep reaching out to those who've done this who worship the Lord and are thrilled about this wonderful concept of redemption, but fundamentally have just dragged, they've just dragged along all their sins and all their heathen ways and all their idols, however they uh, manifest themselves in various ways. They merely bring it with them. Again, our challenge to help them get past that, to grow into it. And the reality is some people will just never get it. You know, what do we do? We still love them. As long as they're willing to come and they need help, we'll help them and encourage them and and pray for them, but uh, you know, real salvation, people, I hope you understand this, especially you core guys, the real salvation only really comes with total surrender, total surrender to God, where we realize that I will worship God and I will worship no others. There is nothing else that's more important to me. I will not put money in front of God. I will not put sex in front of God. I will not put anything else in front of God. I will serve God totally and completely. And that's when you really start to experience the power of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, the miracle working power of God in your life comes as a result of total surrender to the will of God uh, through Jesus Christ. That is the true message of Christianity. Sadly today, a lot of Christianity is just add Jesus to your repertoire of, of, of crap, you know. That's not the gospel. It's not add Jesus to all the stuff that you don't want to let go. The true message of the gospel has not changed. This true message of God loves you so much, he will totally redeem you. He will totally set you free. He will give you life and make something out of nothing. But it has to come with true surrender, true repentance, True commitment to God. And, and we grow through I get it. But it's not just merely adding Jesus to everything else that we know we're doing wrong or adding Jesus to our idols as they did. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, it says, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and their grandchildren do as their fathers did. I would argue that even to this day in 2000, whatever, People still do this, and it's, it'll always be with us. Anyway, hallelujah. Uh, when we come back next week, we will pick this up at uh, chapter 18. Now, chapter 18 brings us to a new king. Now, the kings of Israel are done. Israel is over with, you know, as, as we understood this because of the judgment of God, and they wouldn't repent. Eventually, Judah itself is also going to be taken into captivity, but that hasn't happened yet. Grace of God still with these guys, but even they will push him. But this, this one king comes along, unlike any other king. This guy is King Hezekiah. 
this guy got it right. And for the most part. And we will read about uh, this king who really feared God. And the Bible even says about him, uh, there was no other king like him of the kings of Judah. Not referring to King David because he was the best one. But um, since, all, since David, uh, it says there was no other king like him before or even after him. Here is a guy who comes along and in the midst of all this insanity, in the midst of these people who just, you know, couldn't get it right. Even the children of Israel, they did the same thing that these heathens did. You know, they just added hell onto God, but added all the other junk with it, and it eventually brought judgment on them. This one king comes along, King Hezekiah, and he uh, gets it right. He comes in with the right kind of heart before God. So we'll pick that up next week and learn more about King Hezekiah. And then we're almost done with uh, Second Kings. But uh, hopefully uh, there's some really good lessons through all of this that we can add in our everyday life. So now, campus pastors are coming and they're going to uh, come with questions and stuff, kind of get involved in this. Do me a favor, please ask questions concerning the message. It's a little frustrating even to other people. We hear it from time to time. The questioning time, most people like it, but some people get irritated because you ask the goofiest questions that have nothing to do with this. You know, like, you know, what do you think about, you know, the World Cup in Africa? You know, who cares? Okay, be good, focus, pay attention, and keep it about this. Let's get some dialogue. Let's ask some questions. If the pastor has asked you some questions, see if you can get stuff. Because one of the best ways to really learn something is to ask questions about it. And get some dialogue going. We want you to get this stuff really into your hearts, okay? And then we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.